For 2022, I am grateful that I have been able to meet some awesome writers this year. This podcast has afforded me a unique opportunity to meet some of the most fantastic storytellers that I have read in a long time. There are people who are welcome to this podcast whenever they want to visit. It is something that I do not take lightly, nor do I take your listening lightly. I don't know where you are in your writing, and it's easy to assume that wherever your growth is, is automatically where everyone else's growth rests. And that just isn't true. Some of us are still attempting to come to terms with the fact that we love writing and want to do this thing seriously. Some of us had a day or a number of days where we were really excited about a story, got it out of us, onto paper or onto the computer. And somehow along the way, life got in the way and we lost sight of that story. We still think about it, but for some reason or another, we just don't have the same gusto we had when we started the story. Some of us have published a story, but things haven't quite worked out the way that we assumed that they would. And we thought that we would just have more engagement, more feedback, more ideas come. But that just is not happening. Wherever you find yourself on this path, which I am well aware there are plenty of more places of uncertainty on this writing path. Wherever you find yourself today, especially if you are a brand new listener to Free Writer, I encourage you to go back through the catalog of this podcast and find the appropriate episode that will help you to get out of that place and get on toward the road that will land you on an interview with me, your host, T.A. Walker. Today, we have the super talented Keith Hedger. Amongst many talents, he is the author of Moving Target, which is book one of the Karma and Burn series. Keith, welcome to Freerider. Thank you for, thank you, and I'm glad to be here. Very nice. Um, 
so that our listeners can understand what types of books you write, if you had to create a genre on Amazon, what would best describe the types of stories that you write? It'd be a cyberpunk thriller or cyberpunk military science fiction. Wow. So semi-near future, a lot of the cyberpunk tropes, people have implants and technology as just part of who you are as much as implanted in you. And, well, my characters tend to solve problems with violence. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, so what? They don't just sip tea and rationally debate their points to get the job done? Oh, bad karma can rationally debate a point. <laughs> She'll just do it afterwards when you're doing the after action and going, how'd that happen? <laughs> Absolutely. I I concur. She is the, definitely the, the questions later type. Um, yeah. How has your style changed from the first time you published? Um, I'm okay. At heart, I'm a discovery writer or a pantser, depending on where you picked up the terminology. So a lot of my story ideas, I tend to have an idea and just roll with it and see where it goes. Okay. So I have gotten much better about, okay, let's sit down and have a little bit of structure to this story so that, you know, I know I got to get to these waypoints. I'm not just randomly making this up as I go along. (laughs) Okay. So do your stories come to you uh, as a relative? Like, do you know where you want your story to end? Or is that something that you literally get while you're writing? Sometimes, usually I have a, pretty clear endpoint and how we get from start to finish on that tends to be a lot more wide open but it was like for moving target the end goal was to write the story of how breeze becomes bad karma and ends Mm -hmm. up in atlanta and i knew Mm -hmm. at some point she's got to be bad karma and at some point she's in atlanta let's see what happens let's just start with this visual of breeze on a pontoon boat in the in Lake Michigan on Lake Michigan in March, and bad things are going to happen from there, and see how this develops. Absolutely, I can't now wait. To- I would, yeah, more but now farther along in my career and have written a lot more. It's like, okay, now I know she has to have this happen at this point, and this happen at this point, and it's still pretty free range in between, but. Mm-hmm. You know what? I'm so excited to talk about the story that I just want to jump into it. But before we jump into it, I'm going to ask you, what did hitting publish for the first time feel like? Because part of what Freerider does is I am here for one person, that person who just will not hit that button. We have all been there. Keith has been there. Keith, what did it feel like? Oh, the day I launched the first story, it was, I hit publish, and for about five seconds, like, that's really cool, and then it's like, oh my god, it's out there where people can see it, what am I going to do now? Mm-hmm. People will read my book, oh no, that's not good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's actually good, everybody's actually, most people have actually liked it, as far as I can tell, <laughs> so, but yeah, you have that, you have that initial, I've put this piece of me out there, because you spend you know, weeks or months writing the story and then editing it. And, you know, mm-hmm. you, you've gotten a cover for it and you've done this and you've done all this work and then you put it out there and, oh, wow, but people are going to see this thing I've been doing forever that I have this huge personal commitment into. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of scary. It really is. Yes, it is. And, you know, 
four books and two stories submitted to anthologies later, and it's still a little nerve-wracking. <laughs> wow. I agree with you. And have you, have, do you um, agree or do you think in part that, you know, it is actually more difficult to completely butcher a story than it is to write a decent tale? I mean, even if you're not as uh, good with grammatical things, your story's probably fine because you have an affinity for writing. But I rarely yeah. ever run across a story that at least the story isn't pretty damn good, even if it does have some flaw. What do you think about that? No, no. Um, and there's a couple of books I've read that were, I don't know how they got published, <laughs> but the base story was solid. It was the author's execution or the editor's mangling of it that made it that impacted it but there was a base story there most of us know how to tell a story we just don't know how to write one and keep it coherent because even a short story you know 5,000 words that's a lot of space to cover and it's hard to keep, kind of keep it all in your head at one time I agree with that yeah. and now to the good part not that this wasn't good you guys <laughs> but the story moving target finally let's dive in now Keith I think I pretty much followed what was going on. It was enthralling, and it definitely kept me reading until I finished the very last word. So if you're listening to this, you are going to enjoy Moving Target, especially if cyberpunk military type stuff is your thing. Um, But I want you to describe to me what happened to the country that we know of as the United States, how did they realign themselves into the different countries depicted in your story? All right. So there's a lot that that's such a, a random question. So oh my God. Well, let me ask you more really succinctly. Random. It's not really random because there was actually a lot of thought that went into it. Um, but what happened was, I, okay, okay, we, um, when I sat down and started this, kind of the premise for what happened in the world was what mm -hmm. happens if, you know, the biggest economic turbine in the world goes sideways, just mm -hmm. implodes. So the U.S. goes into a civil war. I never really haven't really in story touched on what caused, drove that. But if you look back to in the real world, Yugoslavia after the, after the wall fell and after the Soviet Union collapsed. Mm -hmm. It wasn't everybody in Yugoslavia had spent 50 years waiting to get back to killing each other. It was 5 or 10% of each group mm -hmm. that drove that starting back up. <clears throat> and I looked around, and at the time I went, okay, so what if you had that 5 or 10% cr cr critical mass in the U.S., something happens and it drives us into a civil war. And a lot of cyberpunk is, well the government's always the bad guy okay. or the corporations are always the bad guy. Well, corporations are, can be good or bad and mostly probably a little bad in my setting, but I went, what if the governments are the big driver on a lot of terrible stuff that happens? Mm. Okay. Now so, tell me, Keith, 
when it comes to the states of the United States more specifically, how are the hard lines drawn? Uh, I know you referenced it, but I know you referenced the North and the South and then California, which even in present day is always doing its own thing. So what what oh, is yeah. the division of the 50 states? What what comprises the U.S. and then the you got the United States and then you have the U.S. and then yeah. you have something. You know, I know I'm getting that wrong, but. Yeah, that, um, you have the middle American states, which is basically everything from the Mississippi River out to about Colorado and down to about Oklahoma. Okay. Texas is kind of a combat zone. <laughs> okay. Because, um, among other things, the Mexi- Mexico turned into the Holy Mexican Empire, which we can get into that at some other point because that's actually a factor in some other stories. Okay. But you have the Northeast, which is, you know, Mississippi River to the Atlantic Ocean and basically north of Tennessee, Tennessee and Kentucky. Mm -hmm. Those states are the northern states. And they went kind of paranoid super surveillance. Okay. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, Yeah, they're locking down (laughs) on everything everybody's doing. You can't really move without being watched by the government, that kind of a thing. Okay. Got it. So, and then you have uh, California and sort of the Pacific Northwest kind of became its own thing because nobody was really messing with them. Okay. But they couldn't get any help from anybody either, so they went, "Well, I guess we're on our own. We'll just on our own. We'll just do our thing." <laughs> yeah. And California went, "We are going to be the United States, even though there's no physical connection to the what's claiming the area still claiming to be the United States." Okay. And then they get invaded by Mexico, China, Japan. They have their own independence movement going on. It gets mm-hmm. really interesting. Yeah, it definitely does. Completely. And is it just the North? You know what? No, it's not just the North. But society as a whole, at least in the areas you described in the book, it seems like society is just hyper untrustworthy. Is it just amongst yeah. the mercenaries like Breeze and her crew, or is it everybody that's sketchy like that? Well, we start with Breeze and her crew, which were a gang that kind of became mercenaries. Right. That developed into a kind of a mercenary organization. They're working for some sketchy people to start with. And, right. Yeah. Uh, they have what they have Breeze do something that's just absolutely horrible early in the book to drive everything going forward so that they make sure the peace treaty ending the civil war will actually happen. Right. Because, you know, you know how things go. These countries are going to finally resolve their differences and move forward from the endless conflict and start to rebuild. And then one of them goes, nah, I'm not done yet. Well, (laughs) yeah. If you kill a sufficient number of people who are involved in making the peace treaty happen, nobody wants to back off from that because now you've paid this price and we have to find the people who tried to derail and drive us all back to war. And so, Mm -hmm. yeah, they did some horrible, uh, they they set in this group of this intelligence agency sets in motion this horrible thing with, you know, does the ends justify the means? Well, the end is that there'll be peace at least for a period. But the mm-hmm. means is we're going to blow something up and hurt a lot of people and do some terrible things and then bury all the people who were involved with it. Mm-hmm. And what they didn't figure was Breeze is smart, tough, resourceful. <laughs> yes. And okay, with, and okay with stacking a few bodies. 
Right. Yes, she is. Um, now, <laughs> the cyberpunk element of the mercenaries and the military type figures in the story, are these same type of uh, elective mods, are they available for the general public or is it just for f- combative folks like military type persons? Some of it's some of it in setting would depend on what country you're in, where you're at. If you're in the southeast of the of the current U.S., you can as long as you can afford it and find a doctor who put do it, do the work. You can probably get it. Okay. In the northeast, in the northeast, which claiming to be the United is now claiming the title of the United, still claiming the title of the United States. They're going to lock down on who can have that, and they want a lot of control over the people who have it. So groups like Breeze and her crew are going to have to go to black market or underground docks to get the stuff they need. Right. Get the implants they want and the stuff they the tech tech they need. So. Right. Now we've heard you reference Breeze, and for those listening, Breeze is we'll just say she's our central character in the story. Keith, yeah. tell us about Breeze. Breeze has had a very difficult life, and I'm eventually going to dig into that more. But, but yeah, she's had a very difficult life. She was lived in Denver. Her mom had a drug problem. All kinds of bad stuff happened, and some things happened. And at some point, she drops her mom off at a medical clinic, gets on a bus, and goes to Chicago. Ends up joining a gang. Mm-hmm. While the gang, the guy running the gang has bigger aspirations um, in store in the story. His name is uh, Jacob. Mm-hmm. So he builds his gang. They kind of move from gang being a gang into being, you know, private military mercenaries. But I think mercenaries is a good term for it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he's, they're getting these jobs throughout this civil war that's going on around him, you know, working for, you know, military organi- the uh, military or different organizations in the government when they need, you know, people who can solve problems and no one will ask a lot of questions, they can mm-hmm. hire Jacob's crew. Bad Karma excels in this environment, or Breeze excels in this environment. So over a few years, uh, over a few years of this, they're doing all these jobs. She's built up a reputation. And then the war is coming to an end. They figure this is one last war, one last paycheck before the war ends, and then they can finish getting upgrades and figure out what they're going to do next because it looks like the work they've been doing is going to dry up. Well, they didn't realize they had been set up by whoever had hired them because doing what they do, they don't always know who's actually hiring them. Mm-hmm. So they... Uh, so they get together, they do this job as they're directed to, and after that point, the agency in question starts sending out teams to clean up that gang, all of it. Mm. Bad Karma gets out of Lake Michigan, and you know the guy who's supposed to drive her back is dead next to his car, and there's a hit team waiting, and things kind of devolve from that point on. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Breeze starts making decisions. Breeze makes some decisions at that point and moves forward from there. And what she finds out is more and more of her friends are not there anymore. There's more going on to it than that. Than even than she knows about. She never really does get inside, but there are some characters in the story who are inside who kind of give a view of what's been going on. Very much. Yep. yep. So 
Let me ask you this, Breeze. I know when I write and probably every writer on earth, I think that a lot of our stories really hinge in a large way on the names of our characters. And it would seem to me that Breeze has many more, you know, uh, metamorphosis of her name she's gone she has a government name if we can say that she's got breeze and you know by the conclusion or let's just say the conclusion of this portion of her story she becomes karma or she names herself bad karma how it, it would seem to me that breeze has a lot more names coming in her future is that off or not well after that, she's going to be bad karma because that's the name she chose for herself. Okay. Breeze was the name she picked up, and it was better than the name her mom gave her because she wanted to kind of forget that whole period of her life. Mm-hmm. And um, as you read the story, at some point she successfully does forget her that entire period of her life. Mm-hmm. But, <laughs> yeah, she becomes bad karma, but then bad karma as a person will keep, continue to grow as the stories go on. Right. So I um I enjoyed this story and I liked how let's just say how connected she was to Jacob. Um Jacob seems like he is going to be very integral to her story moving forward. Uh is that right? He will be. He doesn't make an He won't make an appearance till the what I've current tentatively titled um, the Chicago Cycle, which is I've got Moving Target, Sandblaster, and Easy Jobs are kind of the burden bad karma cycle of this. Mm-hmm. Then I'm doing a two book Chicago Cycle where Jacob will make a new appearance in. Okay. <laughs> and he'll find out bad karma is not Breeze, and it's she's not at all who he remembers. She just looks the same. Right. Yeah. And the distrust that runs as an undercurrent throughout the entire story is kind of what kept me reading. I mean, every character that I confronted in that story, I just side eyed them the whole time. Really, really the only person that I felt I could trust was Breeze. Is that intentional on your part just to have just this undercurrent of just never knowing who's going to literally take you out? Yeah. Yeah, there was some intent there because it's kind of a trope in cyberpunk where it's like you have a handful of a couple, three people. The, the cyberpunk characters tend to have, you know, a handful of people they really trust and everybody else is suspect because mm-hmm. everybody has their own agenda. Right. And Breeze trusts Jacob up until the point where she's like, yeah, there's only if I can trust this person. There's only one way to get anybody else out of this. There's only one way anybody's going to survive this whole thing. Exactly. And I don't think there's a whole lot of us left, but <laughs> I'm going to say what I can, mm-hmm. not knowing what she's signing herself up, not not actually knowing what she's signing herself up for. Right. Because she figures, yeah, they're going to take her into a show trial and put her up against a wall at some point. Well, kind of, sort of, not what happened. <laughs> right. So... Help that writer out there who, like you, has a very unique and very, let's just say, multifaceted style of writing as far as the genre you like to write in. 
you know, when you're writing at first, you think, oh, my gosh, nobody's ever going to want, want to read this type of story. Speak to that writer who has a very interesting, you know, fantasy type story that they want to get off the ground, but they just do not believe that people are going to read it. Will people want to read their story, Keith? They will. Yeah. Believe it or not, there's people out there. You're going to have to find them, <laughs> but there are people out there who want to read that story. Write, sit down, write the story you want to you want to tell. Right. Then then go back, put that thing in a drawer for a month or two. Yeah. You know, save that off on that thumb drive and unplug that thumb drive and set it off to one side. And don't touch it for two months. And then sit down and read it again, and you will see. It, it's not so much that end of the rough draft and you've kind of, you know, mm-hmm. there, there's this thing you've just created and it's kind of like a baby only stranger. Mm-hmm. You're over here going, ah, set that aside, get a little bit of distance from it, go work on another writing project and then come back and sit down and look at that and you'll have a better view of, okay, I'm going to clean some of this up. I'm going to change some things. There's some things that just didn't make sense. That kind of thing. But yeah, write the story you want to read. If you're not seeing the story you want to read out there, write it. Mm-hmm. Just get started because the world does want, there are people out there who will read your story. That's exactly true. Um, tell us about we're we're off the heels of Christmas. We know Christmas is past. We're drawing 2022 to a close. Yet you worked on a, a very interesting um anthology that is available for readers to not only read but to listen to an an audio uh, version of the story. Tell us a little bit about that project you worked on and how it was, what kind of time you had working with other authors. Okay, Um, I got introduced to an anthology from a publishing house named Bayonet Books, J.R. Hanley is the owner or head guy over there. And he had told me about an anthology they were doing of stories about Santa Claus as a military door kicker. So if you have any, you know, mm-hmm. military friends or veteran friends, and you'll occasionally see that meme on Facebook or on social media where there's Santa Claus with a cigar and a rifle. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. He's got a firearm and a cigar and he looks like he's about to go take out a, you know, mm-hmm. a <laughs> enemy fortification or a terrorist or whatever. Yeah. He wanted stories based on that. Mm-hmm. And it was, you know, short stories. It didn't have to be, it's not supposed to be anything long because it's an anthology. So anthologies are a collection of different authors and everybody's writing around this theme of Santa Claus as a military door kicker. Well, in my case, I have a character who shows up and who was created sandblaster and it's, Then in another story in another anthology, her name is Phoebe. She's a tank. She's a sentient tank and accidentally created AI-driven tank. (laughs) Yeah, you have to read Sam Blaster. It was one of those. Tony Weisskopf over at Bain Books kind of drove the creation of that. (laughs) It was kind of fun. But Phoebe, so I went, what happens if Phoebe meets Santa Claus? And this is all in the Burn and Bad Karma setting. So Phoebe meets Santa Claus, and they're in Texas, and there's a, of course, there's a Christmas Eve truce. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But some human traffickers are taking advantage of that, and that's when Santa Claus shows up to give Phoebe independent act, uh, an opportunity to act independently, and 
uh, Lieutenant Jess Wilson, who you, you first meet Jess in Moving Target, actually. Mm-hmm. Where you get her out of the mess. Well, she ends up being a special forces officer in the middle American states. She needs a uh, combat command, which is kind of hard to come by since she's a hacker. So Santa Claus shows up to take them along to go do, give some give some uh, very specific caliber uh, presents to the human traffickers. <laughs> wow! And I just sat down and was like, okay, let's just roll. Let, let's just start there and see where this goes. And as Jr. put it. Keith, you went dark, and it was fun. <laughs> I went, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was like, there were moments right in that one where I was like, am I over the line here? <laughs> Did I go too far? Apparently not. <laughs> <laughs> so tell me, was just the one in Moving Target who had her boyfriend fall out of Breeze's apartment? I, uh, fell out of an apartment, if I remember right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, so Breeze gets her out of that whole thing because she really wasn't a member of the gang. She was just dating somebody who was. <laughs> right. right. And then she ends up tying in with, when she gets over to the middle American states, she ends up tying in with their military because she's got some level of skill set and they've got some level of trust with a couple of people. So they make some things happen. Right. Well, I think that one thing that frustrates me when I read books like yours is I'm always asking myself, especially at the end or the conclusion of the story, I'm like, why aren't these stories the types of stories that find themselves on a best-selling list? Not to just give it to you as charity, but as a genuine story that's fresh, that is not expected, that's exciting. Um we all have our qualms with the, you know, traditional publishing. And I'm not saying that my qualms may be the same as others, but what what do you what would you say is the factor that sets you apart from, you know, the, I, there's no other way to say, but the boring mainstream stories that we get. What sets you apart? I don't have a marketing department that can throw this in every Walmart and throw this book in every Walmart and grocery store and Barnes and Noble in the country. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's a big part of it. And indie authors are, it's one, but it's one of the things I love about indie, indie authors. It's, I don't have to worry about this. The first guy, the first person reading in the slush pile, who's already seen 10 bad books today. Mm-hmm. Just looking at mine and going, oh God, not not another one that's not even not even selling it, not even in a genre that's selling it at the moment. I can be an indie author and I'll find my audience. Why? Because you start you start looking at the numbers, and okay, there's a, probably two billion English language readers in the world. Mm-hmm. It, I do I need two billion people to read my book to have a financial uh, major measurable financial impact on my life. No. No. You know, if I can get a few hundred or a couple of thousand, my whole that's a whole different world for most people. Exactly. And yep. I can market to the people who read that book. <laughs> right. Yes, and if you could get them hanging on for every next release, then bam, that's yep. that that's it right there. That is and it. And that's something 
and that's something I've got to get better at is releasing more frequently, getting the books done, not mm-hmm. catching myself in that endless editing process. I think we can talk about that a little bit later as far as the process stuff goes. But yeah, mm-hmm. if you can get a couple of books out, a book or two out every year, it's not terribly long before your backlist is actually workable if you're doing some marketing. Right. Yes. I absolutely agree with that. And what to what you're saying about not having to have all two billion English English speakers yeah. reading your books, you know, that puts it into perspective because we are a proverbial needle in the haystack whenever you publish. But if I am a large proponent of when you find your folks, you don't even have to worry about all the rest of them because those are the yep. ones you actually want there. Not that you want to be exclusionary, but why read a book you don't really want to read? I mean... I don't exactly <laughs> exactly and okay if I sit down and pick up a book and open it I'm probably going to read it and that's been, I've regretted that in a couple of cases just there's been a couple of them out there mm-hmm. I'm old enough to remember the post-apocalyptic books from the 80s where everybody was just publishing these things <laughs> and it was kind of Oh, there was one of them. There were a couple of them. Some of them were all all right. They were pretty much really repetitive. It was just, we have the hero. We know what he's capable of. We're going to take, all we're going to do is move him from location to location and change the names of the people he's going to shoot and sleep with. Exactly. Um, I mean, Mm -hmm. that's the only thing that changed, literally. But you got it. Some of them, it was just like, I don't know where this author was trying to go. I don't know if they actually knew where they were trying to go, but I really wish I could get those hours of my life back. <laughs> it's possible to write a bad book. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. It is. Uh, and yeah. And if you feel like you've written a bad book, okay, get that to somebody who's not your friend or family, have them re- who reads in that in what you think is your genre. And they'll let you know what you're doing right or wrong. Mm-hmm. Right. The hard part is don't ask another author to do that because we're all busy. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, so what does your what does your process look like? Because I think that a lot of people are um, hijacking other people's processes, and there's no no harm intended. But they kind of just don't know how to create their own thing there. And because they're doing what someone else does, they're never able yeah. to, do, to do anything they want to do because they've hijacked somebody else's ideas. What is your process as far as the genesis of an idea, getting that idea out and finishing? How do you know when to say, OK, Keith, back away, slowly back away from the office and go do something else? <laughs> Get out, go for a run, see people that aren't in your head. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, When I'm looking at some story that is so massively out of line with anything I want to do, Mm -hmm. if I had an idea for, you know, a sweet romance story, that's when I would sit down and go outside, probably go over to the the seller 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 lounge account have a beer and really rethink a lot of things <laughs> <laughs> that's not something i have yeah you know, okay you're not supposed to don't don't ever don't ever kill that you have to hone oh. do it keith i told you that you guys are <laughs> you you guys are really i'm telling you you guys 
leave some really interesting stuff on the page when guys do a sweet love story. Oh. I like that. <laughs> it can be fun. And it would be fun. Honestly, it would be fun to do. It, it's There are romance plot lines in my stories. Yes, there are. Like, it wasn't something I set out to do, but it was like, it just worked. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, no, if I, it's like, I would have to sit down and do a lot of research to be able to successfully write a Western that fit the Western genre fit the rest western tropes mm-hmm. because you know it's not what i write <laughs> right i've read a bunch of them but it's not what i write just one of those deals right so uh, if you are writing so, a story and you're on and you're editing your story yeah. how do you know how how do you know when to stop the song that doesn't end aka editing Oh, I was really, really bad for that. It took me years. I had written Easy Jobs, and it was like four years later when I finally published it. And it was mm-hmm. the first one I actually published. <laughs> because mm-hmm. I would just sit there and keep re- trying to rewrite it and re-edit it, and always looking for one more thing that had to fix to, to make it perfect. Mm-hmm. Um, what I do now, over time I've learned a little better process, I sit down and it's like, I'll do the rough draft and set the story aside for a couple of months or six months or however long I I have before I can get back to it. Somewhere between a couple of two months and six months. If I'm doing a short story, I can just put it away for a week and then sit back down and do the edits on it. But longer stuff, novel length stuff, it's going to be a little longer. A couple of months, let that idea get out of my head, go work on some other projects. So it's not so much, you know, my, my new baby when I get back to it. And I do a major edit where I go look for all the stuff that just doesn't make sense and needs to either be fixed or cut. Look for, oh, I'm, I need a character in here to give a viewpoint about specific parts of this story because it's not there. Do that. Put it. Back. I'll send that out to I have, uh, I have an editor. Crystal does amazing work for me. So when I'm done with that round, I'll send it to her and I will send it out to a handful of first readers or alpha readers, whatever you want to call them. Okay. And the specific instructions is I need to know, A, is this a good story? B, were there any, any, identify any section where you were confused as a reader. And C, tell me if there's any section of this story where you were bored. Because the two things I can't do is bore the reader or confuse the reader. So, Keith, I'm going to cut in right here because you made an excellent point that I learned the hard way. Nobody taught me. I just instinctively picked it up. And I'm not brilliant. It's because I got burned. But um, you made a very important distinction when you submitted your work to your alpha readers, readers or beta readers, as some people refer to it. Um, You said you gave them specific things that you were asking feedback for you didn't there were things you didn't want them to tell you and there were things you did want them to tell you i think that's extremely important that when you give if you decide that you're going to share your worth with beta readers that you tell them what you're looking what they need what you want them to give you feedback for because if you don't then that can destroy your confidence, especially when you've not published yet, because some beta readers you're going to find out are not a good fit for you. And they're going to reveal that with yep. this process. And you don't want to have that kind of a situation. Can you speak to that? Oh, yeah. And the, the 
Oh, yeah. Um, when you first start out, anybody who will read your stuff is like a godsend. You're just thrilled to even talk to them, right? But mm-hmm. that, if you hand that out and just don't give them any guidance, don't tell them what you need to find out from them, tell them what you want them to look for, there you're you basically just handed your novel to six different five or six different developmental editors who all want a different story out of it right right that's gonna create a nightmare when you try to create those six different stories all at once and you're gonna end up with a muddled kind of a muddled mess guess who learned this the hard way (laughs) exactly yeah Mm -hmm. it's like here's the story i'm trying to tell here's the story i'm telling Folks, tell me what, tell me what, if the story works overall, tell me if I bored you in any place and tell me if I confused you in any place. That's mm-hmm. the things I need to know because if I get that right, people will read the book. They'll read the story because I'm giving them more of that world that they like already. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I don't, and I don't end up with six people trying to tell me to write different stories. Yeah. Exactly. And I think so, that there's, there's, if you go the beta reader route, it's nice if you can find people that you have a little bit of a distance from, because if it's like your sister or something, she might have a favorite type of story. And then she's going to try to get you to write that same book every time. And it's like, you know what? Thank you. I'm glad you like it, but this is not your book. This is my book. You know, you don't want it to be so close that it's like you're doing a, a personal gift for someone. No, it's still your story. You just need them to focus yeah. on, you know, whether your structure is okay or grammar or whatever yeah. it is. Yeah. And I have a Crystal does great work on my grammar edits. That's why I don't ask first readers to give me grammar edits. If I have, you know, if you're fairly sure that there are two characters with, or one character with two different names, I need to know that. Right. You know, I've confused you. If you tried to read through this section and it was just a slog, and bored you the whole time, I I have done some horrible info dump and probably need to figure out another way to do that or just cut it out altogether. (laughs) Yeah. Yes. But I get that back from the first readers and I usually get Crystal's notes back and I sit down and then I do a minor round of edits looking at the stuff they, these, the first readers and Crystal have given me to go, okay, here's the stuff I need to figure out for that. Then I just send it back to Crystal and we go, cool, we will do line edits and she'll let me know if I screwed anything up, screwed anything up trying to fix it. And then we go look, start planning the launch. Okay. So that way I don't get myself into the 14th round of edits and there are seven versions of this story on my thumb drive somewhere and mm-hmm. I don't know which one's the actual final version and all the stuff we have all done. So it sounds like you're after your rough draft, do you have an actual rewrite or is it more so you just nip and tuck you just nip tuck your way to the final product? Because I, I reread yeah. I, I reread and typically do a lit there's usually a little bit of rewriting with uh the one I'm okay. working on currently that's about to go out, California. I realized I need a needed a character who was giving a viewpoint on where some of the information that the characters already in the core story were where they were getting that information from. Okay. So I created a hacker and she's working with this team that's supporting the spy in the story. And there's a whole backstory there and it's about as cyberpunk as I could make it in five scenes, but it's like they're doing things to try to, you know, cover the spy who's trying to get out of, get out of this situation and figure out who knows what and, you know, create some mayhem and confusion among the people trying to catch the spy and all that. And it was like, I needed a character to, 
give that viewpoint and kind of have that make it feel a little more real for the reader. And it was a lot of fun, and I really liked the character also. Mm-hmm. But yeah, Crystal and I will be the two who like look at those sections really hard and go, okay, did I get them in the right spots in the story? Did I write them well? Do you get a connection to mm-hmm. this, this hacker character and move forward from there? Mm-hmm. So. so Keith, with uh, four books you've published and being included in a couple of anthologies now, I think it's safe to say that, you know, you're at least at a comfortable place with what you can do up to this point. Um, as we look out on the end of the year, I mean, these are literally the last two days as we move forward in 2023. I know you had a blog post that really resonated with me. Um, is there anything that for those of us who um, like to challenge ourselves or those who choose to set goals, how can we free riders or riders in general general move into 23 and have more a better time with what we're doing with writing how can we improve ourselves um one i'm going to tentatively try to get multiple of my own stories out this year i'm trying to get three of my novels out this year as an indie author okay i'm going to look for more anthology opportunities because they just an opp- those are great opportunities for me to a write something short that kind of defines aspects of my setting, <clears throat> and sometimes challenges me to write something different than what I normally write, so I can you know grow my writing skill. And I'm getting more involved in the writer com- the indie author communities out there and the writer communities out there. So I'm going to spend more time looking at the 20 books to 50k group over on Facebook because that's all about helping indie authors get better, authors get better. Um, there's a, a podcast called Writer Dojo by Larry Correa and Steve Diamond, and Larry started as an indie author and is now published by, I think, Bain, he's mostly published by Bain Books, but he's been incredibly successful, and Steve's coming along and doing some really cool stuff. And, in fact, Steve's got a story in that Santa Claus anthology where it's a really fun story, and if you watch movies, uh, sci-fi movies from the 80s, you'll understand exactly what he did with Santa Claus. Um, <laughs> I'm not going to say the movie Aliens might come up, but the movie Aliens might come to mind. <laughs> it was a lot of fun. Good. So they've got a whole Facebook website. They've got a whole uh, group on Facebook called about centered on their writer dojo podcast, which is focused on helping writers get better, whether that's on the creative side and the craft side or on the business side. Mm-hmm. And I am digging in and getting going to be digging in and getting better at the business side of this whole thing. Okay. Because, you know, I want to be doing this long term. I like writing stories and I would like them to at least pay for themselves and maybe pay some of my bills. I know. <laughs> yeah. 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 So, so I, I've got a, a business hat for this. I'm getting a better business hat for this. So I'm spending some time and going to spend some time and attention on how do I get be better at the business side of the writing world. Mm-hmm. So, so because, yeah, it's it's one of those. I'm like every other creative, mm-hmm. all of us wrote that first book. And if we were indie, we uploaded it on Amazon and we assumed Jeff Bezos would show up in a week or so with a check for a million dollars. And let's face it, he ain't been to my house yet. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, I mean, tell me about it. <laughs> I'm just saying, Jeff hasn't come by. I'm kind of disappointed. Right, exactly. I mean, uh, my favorite analogy is nobody's going to kick your door in and raid you and make you give them an interview and, and throw money at you. The 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 work begins when you publish. That's that almost might as well be day one. <laughs> and honestly, the more you get into this, like I said, I'm a big fan of the twenty books group because they talk about that and honestly, my next book will go out early February, most likely. Okay. Provided we get a couple of more things in before in the next couple of days. Otherwise, I'll shift the date a little bit. But mm -hmm. the, the intent is it'll be out next uh, early February. But, but I will start marketing it before it's actually purchasable so that it gets into people's heads. Mm -hmm. Once it's out, there's a certain point where it's like, okay, that can take on a minimum thing and you just keep going back and punching out that first a series because your backlist is where you make your money. Mm -hmm. And my wife and I were talking about this earlier. Carrie and I were talking about it. And it's like, I've got something like uh, probably half the people. I, I don't have solid numbers on it, but it looks like about half the people who buy Moving Target buy the rest of the series. Oh, good. Yeah. So my drop-off is non-existent after book two. They go to book three. And then I get messages from people in Germany going, hey, where's book four? Hasn't got out yet. I'm working on it. <laughs> That is so exciting, isn't it? When someone's anticipating oh. the next book in a series, it's just completely, yeah. I mean, it yeah. gives you inspiration that you might not have had before they sent the message. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, it's, I also have a fitness coaching business and there are days where it's like I'm posting stuff about fitness online and I'm talking to these communities and it's, there are days where you feel like you're just yelling into the void. And then this other coach I know is like, dude, you have posted stuff that's helped me with my stuff. And it's like, oh, thank you. <laughs> I'm not talking to myself out here. You know, I think that even beyond the money, at least right now, at this stage of writing, it's, it's the feedback, it's the engagement that's almost yeah. more valuable than whatever dollars Amazon decides they want to give you finally yeah. you know it's like the feedback yeah. the review the person that reaches out and says something that you didn't even know you did in your story like it's like man i wasn't even i didn't even realize i did that you know <laughs> I, I had one of my readers reach out and i was kind of like i don't know what, who's a character you would think think would be a, have an interesting story about him and they were in moving target and she was like you remember the hotel clerk who's in like one scene She's like, yeah, she feels like she's way heavier than just that one scene. And I'm like, crap. So there's an anthology. I've got a novella-length <laughs> story with that character. Oh, got, yeah. I know the one. the biggest intelligence agency you've ever heard of. <laughs> Yeah. And there's just the oddest people working in it. But she's now in two stories. So She's the one that when Breeze came into the hotel, she was like, yeah. look, the guy that does that is drunk. So keep it moving. Yeah. I ain't got I'm not I don't have no help to give you. And Breeze was like, girl, I don't I don't even need that. I need you to do something else. And she was like, you are good. I know exactly uh -huh. what she's talking about. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, she was like, yeah, she felt like she was heavier and should have more of a, a bigger role. And I was like, okay, what if I play with that? So, and I was listening to, I think, self-publishing formula podcast, and they were interviewing a guy who does metrics on indie books. And he was like, the next big thing will be Amish cyberpunk. And I'm driving past a sign for Pella, Iowa with a big windmill on it. And I'm like, shit, <laughs> I can write that. 
the hell do I do now? <laughs> so I wrote it. <laughs> I'm not sure that one will ever see the light of day, but I did write it. <laughs> I love it. That is hilarious. Amish cyberpunk is a freaking I'm, thing. <laughs> I'm, it was right there, and all I could do is like, well, okay. <laughs> That I wasn't love where that. I saw my weekend go. I, that's not where I saw my weekend going. But what the <laughs> hell, we're here now. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love taking genres and twisting them and bending them up because, like, there are certain genres I know I don't write in at all. So I yeah. purposely will write a book in it just to give my spin on the way I see it. And I love that because there really are no rules when it comes to your creativity. Yeah. You can spin and twist as long as as long as you can be as coherent as possible inside of your world, then, you know, go for it. Well, that's kind of like um, uh, the show Firefly and the movie Serenity. Mm-hmm. Josh Whedon basically wrote Space Cowboy, is wrote a space western. <laughs> right, exactly, exactly. And it's just like, and we didn't know we needed that so much until 20 years later. We're still talking about one season and a two-hour movie. <laughs> yep. Yeah, I mean it's I mean, all about the fr- it's all about just you know the injection of somebody yeah. willing to say why the hell not you know it's it's the people yeah. who innovate the iPhones the yeah. you know those are the people who grab your attention they do something nobody has done and you know you don't have to be Einstein with what you're writing but I guess the the bigger picture here is that crazy aloof wild idea you have you spend more time you know um talking yourself out of it and you should be spending more time just putting it down on paper because people will read it we're all weird a little bit and we want somebody to tickle that that little you know weirdness you know there's a group of guys who looked at star wars and went what we want is star wars without the parts that suck (laughs) <laughs> and there if you go look it's all military sci-fi but it's called it's called galaxy's edge and they've got a whole series and it's kind of star wars without the forces that you're just like that sucked and is stupid why would i do that <laughs> it's like but star wars they took classic sci-fi added a huge fan, a backdrop fantasy element and stuck it in the middle of a rebellion see and and, and and we're all still talking about Star Wars to this day. We'll go see another Star Wars movie. Why? It's a Star Wars movie. Of course we're going to go see it. <laughs> right. And, you know, the what's what's interesting and, and I find enthralling about the free rider as a philosophy is that, you know, a lot of us are are the renaissance that is going to we're going to make that renaissance happen. We are the, you know, today it's J.K. Rowling and Stephen King and, you know, George R.R. Martin. But one day, very soon, we will be in those spots and not so much as, you know, monetarily, you know, fortunate, perhaps and perhaps not. But when you have the skill to be able to write the stories of your age, that is something that people will pay for because, when you become an adult, you know, everybody has their form of escapism. 
And everybody yeah. wants to hear or read a good story. I don't know a single person that does not like stories, period, whether yeah. it's a song yeah. or a movie. And the fact that we literally contribute to that, yeah. I don't think we should yeah. take that lightly. I don't know. And I'm a firm believer. It's, it's one of those things. I know if I go back and reread my early writing, I would probably kick myself in the butt endlessly, but that was part of my learning path. Right. But I put out right. the best story I could at the time. Now I'm putting out what I'm hoping are better stories. Um, yeah. I don't want to, I, I, I don't ever want to write a story because the contract required me to. I had mm -hmm. to have one more book in that series. Mm -hmm. um, and I just got something out that met the word count and was passable. I want a story I would like to sit down and read. Yes. And these are the authors that I think, these are the books that I think yeah. should be pushed out. And these are the books that are the writers who ought to be sitting on the writing teams of these different productions. Yeah. Instead, we're getting the same thing over and over again. But the silver lining is that people are not satisfied with the same thing over and over again, no matter how much you force it on them. They're never yeah. going to just comply with, you know, getting the stale. Like, I mean, I hate to pick on the T writers so much, but they're not really, yeah. they haven't done anything new in decades, yeah. like yeah. actual decades. What's the difference from, okay, Harry Potter was a world changing book, but there are no, almost all of them are the exact same plot line. Every last one of them. And um, watched a, they do a, an event called 20 Books Vegas. 20 Books 50K does an event called 20 Books Vegas. And one guy who's really gotten into story structure and all that points at, pointed out that Harry Potter, the first Harry Potter novel, and Star Wars A New Hope are the exact same story. I bet they are. I bet they are. So, yeah. Yeah, I think we all, especially among the indie community, because so few of us have dug into that kind of stuff, with like story structure and plot and all that, mm -hmm. and, and character development and all that. But we could benefit from that, even if we're not going to write the same story over and over again. I mean, my story is bad karma's going to solve a problem by shooting somebody at some point. <laughs> it's what she does. <laughs> that, that's yeah, that's kind of what she does. I've got a story yeah. where... She had to make a tactical decision, and afterwards, she's like, it was the right tactical decision, but I feel terrible because somebody else got hurt. Yes. Not yep. the person she had to shoot for it. <laughs> she could avoid being shot, but because the right answer was shoot the direct threat to yourself, then do what you can for other people. Then then take on the person threatening someone else. Mm -hmm. And she, from attack, from you're, if you're doing this, yeah, you should, she took care of neutralize the threat facing her and then moved to, and she was like, but they got hurt, and I should have been able to deal with that. And it's like, you're having a moment of anxiety, and she's having a little PTSD moment, and that's kind of part of her character growth. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, she may do the same things. Another really interesting resource, and I watched it years ago, you can probably find it on YouTube, is Tony Robbins, this if you don't know who Tony Robbins is, he's this huge motivational speaker with a $6 billion business now. Mm -hmm. um, and if you haven't heard of him, I don't know how he's everywhere. Right. Yeah, absolutely. We've all heard of Tony Robbins. But he talks about the six basic human needs. And like you said, said, a lot of the publishing industry is based on give people the exact same thing. Give them a very stable product that they will buy more of. 
Mm-hmm. So, you know, if I buy, if I read science fiction, if you can write, some, if I read Star Wars and you can write something that's Star Wars without being, without necessarily being Star Wars, you've met my need for stability and we also have a need for instability. We want change too. Mm-hmm. In varying levels. So if I can take a Star Wars story and I become Galaxy's Edge, great. People are going to read that and they've got an audience. Mm-hmm. You know, I took Cyberpunk and went, but what if the governments were the bad guys? Right. And then a buddy, of mine went, you, a buddy of mine is like, you do know you're mostly writing military science fiction and military science fiction thriller, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, exactly. <laughs> uh, I thought it was Cyberpunk, but sure, I'll roll with this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And you know what? I think that... Um, a very well-known T. Arthur, which I will not name him, but he said that one of his biggest fears as a writer is that he fears the day where he will not be able to trust that he's written a good story. He does not like the idea that, or he bemoaned the day when his books would sell just because of his name. Now, I think the contrary is true. That a lot of people are buying books because of a name and then they're jamming their interest level into that name, even though, you know, the book might not actually be good. Um, I think that in the future, moving forward in the indie writing stratosphere, I think that people are going to want it seems like nowadays people want a person like a human being that breathes in and has the same type of struggle and i don't think that a name is going to i'm talking about in the future is going to necessarily be able to write your book for you is what i'm saying because we indie authors are doing such fantastic work and then you got youtube where you can go on there and become you know internet famous without actually being famous and I think that yeah, the T Otter, the T, no one's sure why. Yeah, the the T people, they're looking at that and they're saying to themselves, "Wow, I had to, you know, hire a whole team of minions to do what this person is doing, you know, in their bedroom, sitting on the floor in front of their bed. Like there, yep. no production team, no agents, no managers. Yeah. And I just think that it's going to move toward a more organicness, which isn't a word, but yeah. I just think that people are going to require more from their authors than, oh, I just yeah. slapped my name on it and it's good, right? Yeah. No. <laughs> well, here, here's, and this is one of those things as you get more into that marketing thing, part of this is, you know, finding those readers of yours who become your friends and then they become your fans and then they become your super fans and they're still your friends. Mm-hmm. And we'll tell, but we'll tell you, yeah, this one, you know, they're on your first reader team and they're, they're your first reader, your alpha reader team. And they're like, they're the first ones to go, dude, this one isn't working. Right. <laughs> right. Now, yeah. not to hate on anybody, because I mean, if it was me, yeah. I'd be like, yeah, I deserve to be here. But I looked at the New York Times best- bestseller last week and I saw yeah. that one author, one author was on there three times. The same author was on there three times. Now, I'm not hating because they were on there three times. I'm thinking to myself, I know why this person is on there three times. And I don't know, have you ever gone and researched or taken a a dip over into book talk? Because this person is on this list three times for book talk. And they're not even new releases. Their books I read five plus years ago. But because she's on book talk, she literally gets on book talk. And cries. She's come back. 
and she, she has come it. back to life. And I'm like, damn, yep. what the hell? <laughs> well, um, TikTok has a huge uh, younger user base, and for them, this is all new books. Yeah. Yep. So she's just evergreened what she's already worked worked with, and there's nothing wrong with that. That's brilliant. At all. That's what I'm saying. That's yeah. why I was like, you know what? Yeah. I'm not hating on her for being on the list three times. I'm oh, I'm no. thinking, damn, that's what you what you over there doing on Book Talk, and all you do is get on there and cry because it's it's hilarious. But for some yeah. reason, this author <laughs> she gets yeah. on Book Talk and she cries, like puts on a lot of eyeliner and mascara, and she just cries and makes this sad cry face and everybody just cannot stop book talking and they're her. buying her books yeah I don't exactly know why they're buying her books because she's just on book talk for 30 seconds crying but <laughs> okay i mean if that's you know. working for you roll with it <laughs> exactly so man that's that's crazy so look Let's move into some complete, well, not completely unrelated, but let's move into a little lightheartedness. And this is what I'm going to call choices. And you only have two choices. And then at the end, you have one choice. So the first one (laughs) is blind. You have to be blind for the rest of your life or you have to be deaf. Mm. Deaf. I'm nearly there now. deaf all right okay (laughs) you have the option you gotta die but you can either opt to freeze or to burn oh freeze free i know i would choose freeze too it seems less painful you just kind of go to sleep and don't wake up yeah exactly thank you can i go to sleep to death or what so as far as moving a target your book is concerned are you more of a northy or a southy Oh, I'm more of a Southie. Southie, okay. I'm That's what I figured you would choose, yep. I'm kind of, kind of freedom-oriented, libertarian-ish. And, yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. So as far as moving target, if you had to continue the series with just one, would it be karma or burn? Oh, karma. Karma, okay. I made that decision long ago. <laughs> okay, I just want to make sure because this is the book yeah. one. So, you know, I know Burns got some yeah. stuff for us too. Okay. Oh, oh yeah. Burns, Burns not going anywhere. Her and Bad Karma are kind of a thing. But. Yeah, absolutely, which was obvious by the end. So, um, let's see. I know you referenced briefly that you have a personal training um, business. Um, so, yeah. in that vein, if you had two, your only two options was that you could eat healthy, but for some weird reason, you could never do exercise again, or you can you can exercise, but you have to eat like complete crap. You have no good food. Which one do you choose? Oh, I'd, I'd exercise. <laughs> I know. Exercise and eat junk. That actually seems very and, pleasant. <laughs> and you'd be surprised how common that is. I know. Look, this is what ev- this is what most fitness enthusiasts do now, which is why they can't get the results they want. Yep. Okay. Uh, they get in there, they go, "I'm going to exercise to lose weight," and they're still, you know, hitting a drive-through at lunch every day. They stopped at a drive-through on their way to way into the office and got a, you know, exactly a thousand calorie breakfast sandwich. <laughs> exactly. And you know, for dinner. Oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna have this sweet potato fries with with whatever fried food I'm having. It's like no. <laughs> yeah, you kind of just ruined it, right? Yeah. So you can I, only. I, I came out of the ultra marathon world where that's we're all, 
that that's just a group of people who are like, where's the next bacon cheeseburger? Exactly. <laughs> or they're exactly. vegan. I mean, there's no middle ground. None. It's zero. So if you only have one pair of shoes you have to wear for the rest of your life, will it be sneakers or boots? Sneakers. Okay. I'm a long distance runner. I'm wearing running shoes. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. Um, let's see. Your final meal. Tomorrow is your day of reckoning. What is your final meal? Ooh. Steak, baked potato, and green beans with a very nice bourbon, probably Temple or Templeton rye. Mm. Six year reserve is good, or ten year corn mash reserve is really good. Um, and then I'm having a hell, I'm going to have a hell of a dessert. <laughs> I know. It's Ooh. my last meal. It's my last meal. I'm not too worried about the outcome. <laughs> I know. I know. And last but not least, what? Keith Hedger, are your last words? Last words of your I life. I, I can get one more novel in. <laughs> oh, you're going to get one more novel in? So you have a lot of last I, words? <laughs> I, I can get one more novel in. I'm just sure of it. <laughs> oh, okay. So wait a minute. After the last meal, you're going to write a book real fast, and that'll be your last uh, contribution to life? <laughs> That'll probably be what I die doing. <laughs> okay. That's a good, you know what? That's a good option to just spend that time writing up a little something. Very, yeah, very nice. Yeah. Very nice. So, free writers. Our guest today, Keith Hedger, gave us some really good benchmarks or things to strive toward as far if you're a goal setter or if you're just a doer. The first thing he said that we free writers can use as a goal is to publish more of our work this year and i think he made a good point about uh collaboration and that collaboration will mean that you can do shorter form work it doesn't always have to be you know a hundred and fifty thousand word book it can just be your contribution to a group and speaking of groups uh keith has as a goal we can strive for um being more collaborative work. I think we free writers could benefit from more of that. And it definitely takes a lot of effort to find folks. And Keith has decided that this is going to be something he's going to do as a way of differentiating his experiences and participating in more writing oriented um, things around his locale. Another thing that he set as a goal that we can all probably strive more for in the upcoming year is to hone our craft in the technicalities of writing, whether it be structure or grammar or whatever portion of your story that you know you can tighten up a little bit. Keith, I know, is going to focus on doing that more this year. And I think it's a goal that we can all stand to uh, partake in a little bit more. And also the uh, business acumen, that is definitely the part of writing that's a little more painful for us because that murky letter M word, you know, marketing, we all hate it, but it's something that you can, it never stops. It's something that you should never stop doing so that your work continues to live. Keith, I have thoroughly enjoyed having you on the Free Rider podcast today. Uh, thank you so much for visiting us. Can you tell us where we can find you and all of your work? 
The easiest place to find me is my website, www.keithedger.com. I got lucky and found my name available. <laughs> <laughs> and from there, you can link to all the social media, Facebook and Instagram and everything else I'm on. And I try to be as active on there as I can without, you know, cutting into productive time for everything else. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, just hit my website, keithedger.com. <laughs> And don't worry if you weren't able to catch that, you're driving or you're doing something else while you're listening. That information will be in the show notes. So do not dismay. We got you. And with that, Keith Hedger, I am so happy to end 2022 with having had an opportunity to meet and to speak with you, a fellow writer who is independent, who is doing his thing. Thank you so much for talking uh, to us today. And we hope that you will come back to the show and share with us again. I would be happy to do that. And I hope everybody has a great new year and their writing goals. They hit their writing goals in 2023 and dig in and get better at all at, at this writing world that we're all in. Absolutely. Take care and we'll talk to you soon. All right. Take it easy.